We have been led by Psalm 45 and the fifth chapter of Solomon's Song to consider the virtues and glories of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've explained the reason and method for the plan, and we looked at the importance of achievement in the life of a man to make him a great husband. I remind you again, please forget the man that you're married to. Please forget any man that you would want to be married to. And let us simply use some natural traits and characteristics of great husbands to exalt Jesus Christ. I take as my basis for doing so the words in Psalm 45 and verse 2, Thou art fairer than the children of men. Well, that can only have meaning for us if we look at the children of men and look at the traits that make them great in one another's eyes, and especially in the eyes of a woman, because we are, in effect, the woman of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're His bride, and we want to exalt Him and think of all that He is in order to provoke greater love for Jesus Christ our Lord. The lover in the Song of Solomon chapter 5 said, Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Let me add to achievement the trait of leadership. Can a man confidently take charge, make decisions, and lead to protect his wife? and give her something obvious to follow, and make a name for the family that she will bear for him. Men say that power or authority is a great attraction characteristic. Did the Lord Jesus Christ have any? Does he have any? The Bible tells us angels served him, even when he was on earth in a state of humiliation. They announced his birth. They strengthened and comforted him when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. After his baptism, they strengthened and comforted him in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. He was a leader. They knew how important he was. Devils feared and trembled before him. They knew that he had the authority to cast them into hell, and they dreaded the day that was coming when he would do so. Men and women of all kinds adored and followed him. Whether it be a centurion for the raising of his servant, or the rich man Joseph of Arimathea, or Nicodemus and other Pharisees that believed on him, they followed the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a leader. He knew the best response, whether answering or asking questions that enemies could not gainsay. You want a leader that is going to have the answers and be able to say what should be done, and then lead the way in doing what is right. In our Lord's most trying time in Gethsemane, or leading up to Gethsemane, without any human help, He declared to His apostles, let us go hence. Those simple words, let us go hence. He knew where they were going into what, though they didn't fully grasp. Let us go hence. Is that a leader who is going to take on a challenge and a project and the Father's will of laying down his life for us. 
Let us go hence. What leadership? He resolutely faced the cross alone and received a baptism and drank a cup that no other man could and no other man would help him. They slept while he wrestled with the Lord and sweat as it were great drops of blood. The Bible tells us that he rules the nations with a rod of iron, dashing the nations in pieces. What a leader he is. He is worthy of you to follow him. And he says, follow me. What is wrong with us? Why don't we follow him as well as we could and as well as we should? He's a leader worthy of us following him. He sits at God's right hand and rules over all angels and principalities and powers. He rides upon a white horse with the armies of heaven following him on white horses. He is the blessed and only potentate. How's that for a position of leadership? He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Even our beloved brother Paul said, Be ye followers of me as I am a follower of Christ. Jesus Christ is a leader, and Paul was right behind him. And Paul said, If you need me to show you Gentiles how to follow Christ, then follow me because I'm following him. He has all the leadership traits and and characteristics that make men great, except he's infinitely greater than any of them. And he's infinitely greater than all of them. And he led all the way to the cross. He knew where he was going. He wasn't afraid of it. He had said he would do it. And like every good leader, what he says he does, he should perform. And our Lord Jesus Christ did that. What achievements he has and what leadership he has. He's worthy of us saying, I do, I will, and to praise and adore him all the days of our lives because he's a savior worthy of our total adoration, affection, and service. What about occupational ability? These are things that women put down when they describe or want to list the traits of a perfect husband. An occupational ability is, does a man have innate ability, God-given gifts, or acquired skills for a good job or a position. If a man isn't able to work successfully in the world and he hasn't applied himself to get a transferable skill that pays well, then the wife suffers because of it. Unless a man is competent with an excellent job or business, he cannot as well care for his wife. So what about the Lord Jesus Christ by this measure? that we're calling for the sake of our plan, occupational ability. What occupation does the Lord Jesus Christ have? And is he competent to take care of us and to provide for his family, the family of God, you and me, his bride? The Bible tells me that when the angel announced to Mary the son she was going to have by the power of God, he would sit upon the throne of his father David and reign forever. That's a decent job. When was the last time you met a man or dated a king? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is king, and he sits on that throne forever. Does he have occupational ability? He does. Don't think about any other man. The purpose of this preaching is not practical lessons on finding a perfect spouse. There's only one purpose for this preaching. And it's to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And every second that you apply mental energy and effort to thinking about anyone else, 
whether wishing that you had a more transferable skill yourself, you're wasting my sermon. You're wasting the Lord of glory. Of course you're incompetent. We all are incompetent. Why aren't you king? He's king. Think about the king, our King Jesus. And don't think about anyone else. You're, you're missing my point. Sometimes I have two or three purposes in preaching, but I don't this time. I've only got one, and it's got me consumed, and I don't care how long it takes me, as long as I can lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, and hopefully by the Spirit of Christ, stir your hearts to love Him more. Amen. He's the blessed and only potentate. That's, that's a pretty impressive name. And when, when he uses the word potentate about himself, it's not like these, these Freemasons or Shriners walking around calling themselves potentates. They ain't got the power to stay awake for 72 hours. The Lord Jesus Christ has all the power. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he's called the blessed potentate and the only potentate, we believe it. We love it. And it's a title worthy of him. That is your husband. I want you to be saying the words this week and next week. This is my beloved. And this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. O you daughters of Jerusalem, and I speak to this church. If you want to be enraptured or excited by all the stupid things that you chase during the week, I'm going to tell you about the beloved and friend you ought to be chasing and you ought to be pursuing. He's worthy of your love. Remember, it was the daughters of Jerusalem that said, Why do you thus charge us? What is thy beloved more than any other beloved? Well, she told him, didn't she? She gave them one earful of glorious language and then just said, Yea, he is altogether lovely. And I had some little children speaking to me at break time, and I told them, if you, if you don't understand my sermon, then just remember these words. He is altogether lovely. And as you grow older, I'll help you understand what those words mean. Just lay hold of those words. He is altogether lovely. Occupational ability. I got assaulted as soon as I ended the sermon. Well, what if a woman wants to marry a doctor? Let me tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ is the great physician. And when he can't cure your sickness, or when he chooses not to cure your sickness, like in the case of his friend Lazarus, he'll raise you from the dead. How's that for marrying a doctor? My husband, my beloved, my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem, is the great physician. He can speak the word. If you touch the hem of his garment in faith, the flow of blood will stanch the moment you touch the hem of his garment. How's that for a doctor? You can grab a doctor's white coat and jerk it off him and rub it on your face and it's not even going to take away acne. But if you touch the hem of the Lord's garment, he'll heal you. This woman had spent all her living and the Bible tells us she was worse off for having been to physicians. But the Lord healed her. You say, it, that is a trite point. There's nothing trite. If I, when I read Song of Solomon, it describes his legs as pillars of marble and his belly as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. You can, and his cheeks as a bed of lilies. You can say that that's trivial. That's how a lover thinks about every detail. Because a lover 
loves every aspect of a spouse. And the Lord Jesus Christ should be loved in everything. And I had mentioned earlier under achievement about marrying a lawyer, and he is the mediator between God and men. Now how's that for trying and prosecuting a case? You want to marry some lawyer who trend, who does a few business contracting uh, uh, contracts or prosecutes cases or defends cases that involve business law? What about the Lord Jesus Christ? And we, we covered that earlier today. So you want to marry a doctor? The great physician is thy beloved spouse. Love him for that. He can heal the sick and he did heal the sick. He made the man born blind from birth to see again. He healed every manner of disease and illness. So you want to marry a prince? Well, he's the prince of the kings of the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ is a prince. Revelation 1.5 tells us that. You have a prince. He is a man. He is sitting on a throne. He is with us today by His Spirit. He is going to physically look at you in a day that is coming very soon. And we must be prepared for that by being excited about Him and loving Him and serving Him and adoring Him and praising Him and running to Him and holding Him tight by faith. You will see Him. Job knew He would see Him. He said, though after my skin worms destroy this whole body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall behold with these my own eyes and not the eyes of another. We're going to see Him soon. It's my job to prepare you to see Him. I want to be a watchman that finds you in the streets looking for your beloved, and instead of taking away your veil and wounding you, I want to take you and lead you to Him. That is, that's what I want to do. If you really want to get into Song of Solomon chapter 5. Occupational ability. So you want to marry a professor, huh? You think that a teacher, a teacher at a university would be good? Well, I want to give you the teacher, the master, the rabbi by interpretation of Israel, who at the age of 12 could ask and answer questions that confounded the doctors of the Jewish law. You want to marry a professor? He is, He's got occupational ability. You say, well, I'd really like to marry a farmer because I love acreage and I love spread out land and I love the blue sky country. Okay, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Is that a big enough farm for you? I don't think you'll remember 995 of them because five will be more than your mind can bear. I don't, do you know what I want you to, do you know what I would love to have you do with this preaching today and as long as it lasts to go home and use the creativity of your mind to worship your husband and to think about all that he is and all that he has done, is doing, and will do and to glorify him that way and to tell him that you love him and to delight in him. You've done it before with some little person sitting next to you or some person that's not sitting next to you or you dream of doing it to some person next to you. Surely we can do it to the Lord of glory. Amen. That's what I want. That's what He wants. How creative can you get? How about economic ability? It's the fourth thing that women look for or women should look for are a man's assets, his income, and his ability sufficient to provide a good living. Women will speak fondly. Don't, don't think naturally. 
except to get us started on the plan that we're following. Women speak fondly of financially secure men. If you're asking a woman, an intelligent, wise woman, or an experienced father who's looking out for his daughter, he would say that he prefers a financially secure man to an unemployed or an underemployed man. Because economic ability means that his wife is going to be taken care of. So we need to ask ourselves, since the Bible says, Thou art fairer than the children of men, does Jesus Christ have a little economic ability? Can He provide for you? Can He pay the bills? Is the power going to be turned off? Can He take you on vacation? Can He build you a house someday? I love my beloved and my friend. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, like I've already said from Psalm 50, and all the silver and gold is his, Haggai 2.8. Those poor regathered Jews, as they went about the task of rebuilding Solomon's temple, and they didn't have Solomon's wealth. You know, in Solomon's day, it says that silver was like stones in the street. And here they were regathered from Babylon, and they're looking at this little these little strings and stakes that showed where the foundation should go for the temple, and the old men that had seen Solomon's temple, what did they do? They wept. The young people were shouting because they were going to have a temple, a house of worship, but the old men cried because they knew they had no money to decorate it the way that Solomon's temple had been decorated. See what the Lord said? (laughs) I own all the silver and the gold anyway, so I don't really need any of that. Just get the walls up and a roof over it because... The desire of all nations is going to come inside this house. And this house is going to have more glory than the first house ever had. That's comforting, isn't it? I see some of our spackled ceiling falling off in places. And it doesn't really matter. In some respects, as long as the Lord's here. If the desire of all nations is in this place, and we still have our candlestick... That is what makes this house special. And that is what we want to keep, and that's the emphasis that we want to keep. Brethren, the Bible says the heathen are his inheritance. That's the far nations of the earth, far from Israel, and the ends of the earth are his possession. Those two statements come out of the book of Psalms. He bringeth the wind out of his treasuries. You want to talk about economic ability? I want you to find me the man that can write a check called Wind Blow. The Lord can. He can speak the word and cause it to blow, and He can speak the word to stop it from blowing. He can bring the wind out of His treasuries, and He can put it back in there and lock the door. Because He's got economic ability to provide anything that you would ever need. He calleth the stars by name. Is that some decent economic power? Some men may have buildings or companies named after their name, but He calls the stars by name. He owns everything in heaven and in earth, and what He does not have, He can create with ease. Inexhaustible supply of absolutely everything or anything you or He would ever need. He's infinitely and perfectly happy with what He's made. The billions and trillions and quadrillions of stars greater than our sun are simply little twinkling lights that He threw in the sky for you to appreciate. A husband will sometimes call ahead to a restaurant and maybe ask for a special table by the fireplace. They may call ahead and say, 
I'm going to have some cut flowers brought by. Please keep them in water, because if you don't, they'll be wilted before they ever get to the table. But the Lord of glory has economic ability to provide little twinkling lights at night for you to go outside and look up and just say that sky is so beautiful. And there are constellations among them, which the Bible names, that God arranged those constellations and then told dumb men what to call them, just like the animals. This is your beloved. This is your friend. This is the Lord, is His name. I hope you enjoyed Amos 5, 8, and you could almost take any verse in the Bible and turn it to the praise of your beloved and your friend. Amos 5, 8, the seven stars, the seven sisters, the constellation, and Orion. Seek Him who made those. Seek Him who brings daylight. Seek Him who brings nighttime. Seek Him who has the water cycle of taking waters in the ocean and dumping them on the land. The Lord is His name. Amos 5.8 Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19 tells me that He is able to supply all your need through His riches in glory. You are never going to exhaust His supply. There's never going to be a shortage. You are never going to have financial worries. A man wants to, a woman wants to marry a man with economic power so that she will never have financial worries. She's going to have a nest. She's going to have a big nest, a secure nest, an estate. She's going to be comfortable. She's going to be protected. We are that woman because the Lord Jesus Christ has all the economic power and ability. He paid the greatest ransom price in history. Do you understand that you, as His bride, before you were made His bride, had been taken captive by a kidnapper called the devil, except this kidnapper did not have to take you against your will. There was no kicking or screaming as he took you out of the bedroom window. You embraced him on his neck and kissed him on the cheek. Because you were walking after the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air, you were a willing captive of the devil in his palace. You want to talk about economic power? They don't kidnap our children. Do you understand why? Why would anyone kidnap any of our children? You don't send ransom notes for $225. You send ransom notes for millions. Ask Charles Lindbergh. Do you remember that sermon? I have found a ransom. Job chapter 33. Does he have economic power? Well, what if somebody kidnaps you and they want a huge price? I want to tell you who kidnapped you. The devil didn't kidnap you. That analogy is imperfect. Who really kidnapped you? The justice of Almighty God. The devil got you indicted and implicated in his justice. So that the great God of heaven held you hostage and a ransom had to be paid. And the ransom was infinite. There's no amount of zeros to describe the ransom that had to be paid to get you out of the claims of the justice of God. Are you with me? If you marry anyone short of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in infinite trouble because he is infinitely short when it comes to his checkbook and the ability to write a check to save you from divine justice. 
You can't marry Michael, Gabriel, popes, pastors, fathers. No one else can pay the price. How much was the price? The life of God's only begotten Son. It's called the precious blood of Christ. Called precious. You know, gold and silver are precious metals. Because copper and iron and others are not precious. They're base metals. They're worthless. You can find them anywhere. You can scoop them up with a snow shovel in your yard. Precious metals are rare. It's called the precious blood of Christ because it was exceedingly rare. That's a price he paid. And he paid it. Does he have any economic power? I praise your beloved and your friend for paying his own lifeblood to redeem you. That means to buy you back. That is an economic term of salvation from the wrath of God. And if that wasn't paid, you will stand before the wrath of God and he will extract the last farthing out of you for eternity. And it will never end because you will never pay off your debt. Do you understand why there is eternal torment? There is eternal torment because God is infinite. If God is not infinite, then hell doesn't last forever. But you know the difference. Our God is infinite and hell lasts forever. Because since you cannot pay an infinite amount in time, you will suffer for an infinite period of time. But he paid it. He wrote a check. It was his own blood. Do you know why we do this? To thank our husband for the most expensive, exquisite, precious gift ever given to a wife. Right there. That is why we do it. If you were to give your wife the most expensive, exquisite gift, you would hope that once in a while she might write you a little thank you note, even when it's years later, to thank to thank you for giving her something so wonderful. That is what this is for. Will you remember my death till I come for you? I'm coming, and I laid down my life for you, but will you remember it? As often as you do it, will you remember it for me? Oh, Lord, we are excited to come to your table. We are looking forward to it. We want that wine. We want that bread to remember the economic power that you had to redeem us from the wrath of God. I wish I knew how to preach it to you. Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life. A ransom for many. You know where the ransom note is? It's in Romans 3. Have you, have you read Romans 3? It's in Romans 1. You know, we've been through Romans, the first half of it. And in those first few chapters, all those chapters did was condemn us. That's the ransom note. We're doomed to die. And then we get to chapter 5. And it said, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. By whom we have received the atonement. By the righteousness of, by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And wonderful things that are described to us there. Oh, He has economic power and ability to buy us back from the justice of God. If He paid the greatest price, He can surely pay any lesser price for anything else that you might ever have need of. And it's called the precious blood of Christ. I hope I've said enough. I fear that in so many churches, and God, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
they sit at the Lord's table and they go through some rote motions and let it not be true of anyone in this assembly. Let's discern His body. Remember what He wants us to do? He wants us to examine ourselves to make sure that we're not living contrary to our husband's will for our lives, which would offend Him and be contrary to His death for us. And second, He wants us to discern in those two elements His shed blood and His broken body. Another trait that wise fathers and wise women desire in a husband, think no more than me defining it, because then we want to think of our Lord, is entertaining ability. These are taken from surveys that I have collected over the years. Entertaining ability. A good woman wants to have a husband that is able to open up a home and to be a charming, receiving host and to make it pleasant for people and enjoys fellowship together, a good meal, kind words, warmth, friendship, communion, which is common union. Does the Lord Jesus Christ have entertaining ability? Women will not choose a bumbling or selfish man if they have a choice who cannot make guests and her comfortable because anything, anything that an entertaining man can do for guests, he can do for her. Because when he's able to focus his attention on just his spouse, he's going to be so warm and loving and make it very special because he's going to take care of all the details because he's an entertainer. Meaning entertainment in the sense of hospitality and meals, and fellowship. What about the Lord Jesus? The Bible tells us that He entertained Israel in the wilderness. They went to bed at night and got up in the morning, and they had angels' food on their doorstep. Does the Bible say that? It was called manna. They made up a name for it. They had never eaten manna before. It wasn't on the shelves at the grocery store. There were no grocery stores in the wilderness. It was a horrible place to be for the church of the Old Testament. But there was manna every morning. What an entertainment. What an entertainer. He was providing their food. And on Fridays, there would be food there for two days to take them through the Sabbath day. When they wanted meat, He gave them meat. One time without His judgment and one time with His judgment. Three feet deep as far as you could walk in any direction. But He gave them meat. Israel dared him for meat and he gave quail. He fed a crowd with more than enough from nothing, twice. Once 5,000 men, once 4,000 men. Those people had come to hear him and they had been so engrossed in hearing him preach that it came, it went past the time of lunch. And there was a concern among the apostles, what are we going to do for this crowd? They've been listening to you all day, who's going to feed them? And here's a wife. She says to her husband, you know, they've been here all day and you haven't offered them anything to eat yet. The wife says, you know, a great entertainer is one that says, why don't you stay for supper? Listen, I'll send out and we'll bring in something good with the Lord Jesus Christ. Sent and said, what do we have? Well, we have this little boy's lunch of a few loaves and fishes. And he blessed it and he said, divide it. 5,000 men, 5,000 wives, 10,000 children had all they could eat and there were 12 baskets full left over. 
Praise the Lord for these things that are told us in the Word of God so that we can appreciate every aspect and every detail of our beloved and our spouse. A ruler once denied his ability to provide in a city where they were eating doves, dung, and asses' heads and their own young. The city of Samaria, when it was besieged, a ruler said, God Himself couldn't open the windows of heaven and reduce prices to the degree that you have just said. 24 hours later, prices had been reduced to exactly what the prophet had said because the entire army had left and there was wheat and barley and other grains being sold for nothing at the city gate of Samaria. But in their rush to get that free food, they trampled the man who didn't believe that the Lord could provide a table and reduce reduce prices for food the way that God did. He was trampled to death. Praise God. He deserved to be trampled to death. When the prophet Elisha and Elijah spoke, you better believe it. And when the Bible tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ's entertaining ability, you better believe it. David said the Lord, his shepherd, could prepare a table and had done so in the presence of his enemies. In Isaiah 55 and verse 1, it speaks this way. Ho! Now this is a great man. Ho! Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. That means we're going to kill the fatted calf. We're going to have wine and milk and water. This is the gospel fare of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's free. Everyone else, you have to say there is no free lunch. With the Lord Jesus Christ, it's called a free lunch. But do you know what price it was purchased for? His precious blood. And this is the result. Thank you, Lord. Isaiah 55 is wonderful. He knows the priority. An inter- a good entertainer knows that when you're sitting at a meal, and you've read this in Proverbs, when you're sitting at a meal, love is more important than the menu. Are you Right? Peace is more important than the fare. The F-A-R-E. The food that's available. Because a loving, a table where there's love and peace and quietness, it doesn't matter what you're eating. The Lord inspired those priorities that we read with delight and know that the best meals we've ever had were not the food, but the company. And the spirit of the company. And the Bible teaches that. The priority of love, peace, and quietness, and that ambience trumps any fair. That's real ambience. You know, if you need the ambience of leather and fine wood stained just right, and some gold accessories, you're missing the point. If you need filet mignon or bone-in ribeye, dry-aged, you're missing the point. The Lord knows all the points. And He embraces us with the best fare and the best ambience of love, peace, and quietness 
because He has bestowed His love upon us. He's made peace with God and everything is quiet in heaven waiting for your arrival. How about the Last Supper with His apostles? Was He a decent entertainer? And when I say entertainment, I'm not meaning it like you've been forced to think of it by Americans. He didn't juggle. That's what you think entertainment means. That's not how it's used in the Bible. When it says in Hebrews 13, 2, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, does that mean that I need to take up juggling? Listen, if it's more than one, I'm going to drop it. I'll drop one sometimes. Should I take up juggling? Or is entertainment something totally different? We feed and house strangers. That's what the word means. So when I'm using it, don't think that I'm speaking lightly about the Lord Jesus Christ. Entertainment is a commandment of God upon us. And I invite strangers to this church every week of my life and promise them entertainment of the scriptural sort. And I write them and tell them there'll be no strings attached, no pressure applied. And why would we do it? Because you might be an angel. And I give them Hebrews 13 too. How about the Last Supper? I have desired with great desire to have this Passover with you. And he gathered them there, and John was on his bosom, and he was sorrowful about what he was going to do that night, and he divided up special bread, and he distributed a special glass of wine, and he instituted the Lord's Supper and put, put away the Passover because it was fulfilled with his own precious blood. What a meal. What an entertainer in the scriptural sense of the word. The Bible tells me in Psalm 16 that in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It is the most wonderful place and we are going there. Women generally choose and fathers of girls usually choose to help their daughters marry an intelligent man. Intellectual ability. Does a man possess mental powers for success and good conversation? Intelligence and wisdom are necessary gifts for success in any endeavor, and they lead to superior living. Intellectual ability. What about the Lord Jesus Christ? By the measure of intellectual ability. Job 37 tells me that we can't even speak of his intelligence. We can only speak of it darkly because we don't even know how to verbalize descriptive statements of it. The Bible says in the book of Psalms in verse 40, God's works and thoughts cannot be numbered. Isaiah chapter 11 tells us that He made the Son of God, the Lord of heaven did. He took the branch of David and made Him of good understanding and filled Him with knowledge and judgment and prudence. In the first four verses of Isaiah chapter 11, Colossians 2 says, In Him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Intellectual ability. You want Him to be able to plumb the depths of your soul? You want Him to be able to answer every question? Do you want Him to be able to explain the past, present, and future in perfect detail? It's contained in Scripture, and He has it within Himself. He is wisdom and righteousness. Some men grow in stature 
And they get to the football team, but their minds never grow with their bodies. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. Elihu said he was perfect in knowledge. Isaiah said there was no searching of his understanding. So you'll never be bored with this husband. He can plumb the depths of your heart and your soul and your mind and speak a word that is learned and appropriate. What about his observational ability? And with this, I'll end. A man would want his daughter to marry another man who is perceptive. He has a power of observation to pick up on nuances in her conduct when she might be unhappy. Nuances in life. A detailed man. A man who observes well and perceives well and discerns what should be done, what could be done. And this isn't just right. He's empathetic. He's sympathetic because he's observational. Is the Lord Jesus Christ that way? Hebrews chapter 4 tells me that the Lord Jesus Christ is able to discern the thoughts and the intents of your heart. No man can do that. No one can know the thoughts and intents of your heart like the Lord Jesus Christ can. David said that every word that was in his tongue was known before it ever came forth by his God. Luke chapter 21, the first four verses describe to us a little widow woman sneaking into the temple to make herself as obscure as possible, casting in two pennies into the treasury. Was the Lord Jesus Christ able to spot her in the, in the throng and crowd of milling people in the temple at Jerusalem? Indeed. And point her out. No matter how small your gift, no matter how small your active service, at home, for a spouse, for the church, He sees every bit of it. And the Bible also tells us He is not unrighteous to forget it. Now that is an observational man. That is the man, Christ Jesus. He is altogether lovely. He is our beloved and our friend. He is able also to see men casting in bags of gold and silver coins clanging on the floor of that treasury, and he's able to point out to his apostles, they aren't giving anything in comparison to the little widow. So see, he's able to observe hypocrisy. He's able to observe percentages from a distance because he knows that they did not give like she gave. When you're in your home, and I I'm a, at the moment I'm speaking to women, when you're in your home and you wonder, does the Lord see? Oh, He sees. He sees every detail beyond what you see or think about your own predicament. He justified the humble publican who would not even lift his eyes to heaven and condemned the proud Pharisee, though both were praying. Do you want someone that's able to recognize the groanings of your heart, even though you're not ostentatious or pretentious or have any public role in praying? He sees, he hears, he justifies while condemning the other. He doesn't miss a sparrow or a hare. What does he say about you? This is your beloved. What does he say about you? Ye are of more value than many sparrows, but not a sparrow can fall without him perceiving it. And whenever you fall, whether it's in your heart, your mind, your body, your family, your fine, wherever you fall, 
He sees it. You're of more value than many sparrows. He knows the hairs of your head, and the hairs of your head are changing daily, you people in here that are over 30. He knows the hairs of your head. That is how observational He is and how much He knows about you. He knows your smallest kindness. The righteous are going to say someday, Lord, when did we ever visit you? When did we ever clothe you? When did we ever feed you or give you drink? And He will say, in that ye did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. He'll remember, though they have forgotten. How's that for observational? You want a husband that is able to pick up on the fact that you are disappointed about something and then he goes out of his way to encourage you? The Lord Jesus Christ is the master of the skill. He's infinitely superior to any man. There's no selfishness with him except the holy selfishness of saving you for his own glory. And I love that arrangement. The Bible tells me he has your tears in his bottle. Is that pretty observational? And your name in His book of remembrance. He knows your needs before you ever ask. So the prayers of the heathen are entirely unnecessary. And He's never unrighteous to forget your labor of love. He's very observational. You know, we all want to be around friends that are quick to perceive our difficulties, our trials, our troubles. You have one. Isn't that what she said in Song of Solomon 5.16? This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. I hope you love the Lord Jesus Christ as we come to His table. It is a memorial. It is a thank you note that we give to the Lord Jesus Christ for the stupendous price paid for a gift of eternal life to you and me from divine justice. Forget a jewelry store and a few zeros after a one or a two. Forget carrots of a diamond. We are talking about the precious blood of Christ, the life of the Son of God that we now thank Him for at His table. May the Lord bless us to remember these words and to exploit them in our souls and minds. Yea, He is altogether lovely.